I've been doing a uh, series, which I'm, I'm finishing today, uh, on mentoring. Next week, we've got a wonderful uh, gift. Uh, we have a, a guest speaker from the Cincinnati Vineyard uh, who will be joining us. So uh, I do encourage you next week to come and listen to Dave Workman. But uh, in this series, as I've been looking at mentoring, uh, today I want to focus on what does it mean to impart uh, the things that are special to us to the next generation? How do we pass it on? And uh, while this could be somewhat broad in nature, uh, you know, if you're a farmer, I think we only have one uh, farmer here in our church, but uh, passing on the farm to the next generation uh, is a significant uh, succession planning event. It doesn't, like, just happen because... Typically, the kids aren't into farming, you know, so, all right, how do we how do, we do this? Uh, but you might have a small business, and uh, when you get towards retirement age, you think, well, how do I, I pass that on uh, to either my kids, the family, or am I going to sell the business? Or how do you pass it on? Succession planning can be done well, and it can be done badly. Uh, often, it's done badly, uh, mostly because uh, planning it, is very difficult. There's a, there's a lot of unique circumstances. And it's no different to succession planning for a church. Uh, you know, when I get to the age of uh, wanting to move on and, and pass it on, how do you do that? Uh, and how do you prepare somebody for, for the, next, uh, the next generation? How do you prepare the next generation to take over what, what you're doing? But that could also apply to things in your life that you're passionate about. You might be a great musician or a great artist or uh, you might have a passion for mathematics or, you know, for geology and uh, you would like to pass that on. It might be a hobby, photography, that, you know, how do you take all the skills that you've spent a, a long time learning uh, and enthusiastically uh, pass them on to somebody else that's really interested in exactly the same thing? Uh, so... You know, part of the mature process is passing on all these gifts, these talents, these passions that you've acquired to the next generation, to those that are interested in those things, or even uh, creating an interest uh, in the next generation that they don't even know they have an interest in. Uh, you know, uh, so if you're passionate about something obscure, uh, then you'd be looking for somebody that has a similar obscure interest. And, and how do you draw it out of them? Uh, so uh, I, I just want you to think about that. But uh, specifically, or more targetedly, I want to talk today about uh, succession planning or passing on the faith. How do you uh, do well at passing on the faith to the next generation? Uh, that sort of would most logically be your own kids, uh, or it might be your grandkids, or uh, you might be a kid uh, or a teenager, and so you don't have any kids to pass it on to, hopefully, uh, yet, uh, but uh, you might be wanting to pass on your passion for the Lord to others. H how do you do that? So I, I want to talk about succession planning, passing it on, but also what's pertinent for our, our youth is uh, they are the next generation, so what does it look like to be the target uh, of somebody else saying, I want to pass on the business 
ministry uh, faith uh, to you? What, what does that look like as a recipient? Uh, so we all should be living our lives really on one hand where we both uh, continual learners, but also continually trying to pass on the good things that we've learned or experienced to, to others. So uh, what I want you to get out of this, what I want you to get out of this sermon today really just is how do I pass it on and to who do I pass on the things that I'm passionate about? And I'm going to ask uh, the Lord uh, to bring people to mind, to make this uh, concrete for you. In fact, a good way of praying is to pray Scripture. And as we are looking at the book of 2 Timothy, I'm going to pray this verse, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, these verses uh, uh, to you. It goes as follows. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So, Lord, I just uh, pray that uh, verse, those verses back to you. I pray that I indeed would be able to do just that, that I would be able to preach your word and uh, to do it in a way which is encouraging and uh, that this would be a good teaching. So, Lord, uh, I just ask that you would uh, anoint me as I preach and uh, liven your word in the hearts of the hearers. And, Lord, give us a practical application on how to uh, put your word into practice. Uh, in your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen. If you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you uh, go to 2 Timothy? And I'm going to be looking at verse uh, 1, chapter 1, verse uh, 3 to 6. There's uh, something here which I think is very helpful for us as we look, on, look at how do we uh, pass on the things that we're passionate about. And uh, particularly here, rather than looking at the facts that we want to pass on, I want us to get a hint of how the Apostle Paul was passing this on uh, to his disciple Timothy. Now, Think of it, a lot was hanging in the balance here. Uh, Paul's life is about to come to an abrupt end, uh, and he knows that the faith has got to be uh, continued. Uh, how is the church, which is, at this point is kind of small and struggling? Uh, how is these churches which Paul has started? How is this going to become a worldwide movement, which it's become, where people get to know Christ? I mean, if this is the early stage where it's so easy, looks so fragile, like this is just going to get snuffed out, like uh, the smallest thing could go wrong, and, and this would be the end of the, of the gospel, the end of uh, somebody preaching and teaching the good news, and, and people are falling away, and people don't have the right lifestyle, and people have uh, heard Paul and rejected Paul, and, and others have uh, hung around with Paul for a while, and then you know heard other people preach and said, ah, forget about Paul, I like what I've heard elsewhere, and and uh, while Paul is sitting in prison, he's feeling rejected. Uh, he's known that many uh, good people have abandoned him. And here he's left with a few, uh, one of them being Timothy, uh, who is kind of timid. And he's not bold like Paul is. And uh, it, it's not like the obvious choice. 
And yet, uh, lots is hanging in the balance. Paul is like saying, okay, you are the next generation. It's up to you, uh, Timothy, Titus, uh, you know, those that were still hanging around with him. Uh, Dr. Luke was with Paul and saying, okay, you guys have to, you know, carry on. And this is what uh, Paul says. It says in verse 3 of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that, you first, that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. You know, if you're uh, filling in the blanks in your bulletin insert, uh, what I want to point out firstly here is this idea of the tone. The tone of Paul here is one of love. It's not of control. There's a sense of Paul is saying, Timothy, I really like you as a person. Uh, in fact, you're a dear person to me. Uh, Paul uh, is saying, Timothy, I enjoy your presence. I just enjoy having you around. I mean, part of mentoring, part of passing on the faith, part of enjoying uh, the person, that is part of the process, loving the person. It's not like Paul is just thinking, wow, I, you know, the the gospel's got to go out. We've got to plant churches. Uh, and Timothy, uh, you know, I need you to do it. So let me tell you the skills and let, let me get you going. It, it's more than that. It, it's a sense of he actually loves the person. Uh, I mean, the person is precious. So part of mentoring, uh, a big part of mentoring, is really valuing the person and the presence, that person's presence, just enjoying uh, each other's company. It's a big part of it. And, you know, we know this sort of uh, intuitively, even in the business setting. When we hire somebody, uh, or, you know, you might even be a landscaper and you're trying to get a hired help just for a short time period, you know that it makes a huge difference if you really enjoy the person that you're working with versus somebody that may be you know, physically capable of doing the work, or if it's an office environment, you know, uh, mentally able to do the programming or, or whatever, but the person's a jerk. You know, it's hard to work with somebody that you just don't really like. But if you like somebody and you really enjoy their presence and they can do a good job, well, now you've got something going. And uh, what, uh, what I'm trying to tease out here is uh, the person as a person, that you enjoy them and their fellowship is a big deal. We need to love people, uh, enjoy them who they are, for who they are. So the second uh, part that we see here in this little uh, mentoring uh, exercise that, that Apostle Paul is implementing and teaching us is the importance of prayer. And uh, this is really a a high level of prayer. I mean, this is a, a difficult standard to uphold. 
that Paul says, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Now, when you read that, you kind of get the feeling that Paul really means it. I mean, he's just saying with such passion. It's like Paul is obviously thinking about Timothy night and day and night and day praying for him. Now, uh, you know, I really love you guys. And occasionally uh, we will go through the church directory and we'll pray for each one of you by name. But I have to tell you that that's not a regular exercise, <laughs> not because I don't enjoy it, not because I don't like praying for you by name, but because it's time consuming. <laughs> so I also tell you this, though. When you get involved in a small group, in a life group, uh, for those that are in my life group, I commit to praying for each one of them personally. Now, I can do that because it's a more of a bite-sized uh, chunk. But I tell you, it's still a significant discipline for me to do that. And it's an exercise for me to do that. Uh, to sit down and pray for each person by name that's in my group. But I feel if it's a smaller group, uh, I can manage that. And that's one of the benefits, by the way, of being part of a group, uh, is somebody is, hopefully your leader is praying for you uh, specifically. Uh, but this idea of, as a leader, for you, uh, if you're thinking of you know, building a, a succession plan, doing planning, passing on the faith, and particularly passing on the faith to your kids, uh, prayer is just a huge component. Uh, you know, you know you can't sit in front of your teenager and reason with them and have them agree with your point of view. I mean, if you can achieve that, you A-OK. -okay. Most of the time, your teenager is going to uh, give you their opinion, which is not your opinion. But uh, you can pray for your teenager that the power of God convicts them, and that they see the good in you and the truth that you're telling them and the love that you have for them and in wanting them to be uh, godly. So prayer is just a big deal. And then the third point that I'm making is similar to the first is enjoying the person for who they are and not just what they can do. Uh, as somebody said, we human beings not human doings. Uh, you know, we, we want to enjoy the people that we're with, not just like, what can you produce? There's another interesting part of this uh, text which uh, intrigues me. This whole idea of Paul saying, fan into flames the gift that you received when I laid my hands on you. Uh, this is intriguing to me on a number of different levels. The first part is uh, the idea that uh, Paul laid hands on Timothy and something happened. That's, that something spiritual took place. That a gift was imparted. Now, you know, if you're a scientist, you, you, your head is going, okay, so let me understand this exactly. You put your hand on someone's head or on their shoulder and then, what exactly happens? A gift. What exactly does that gift look like? How does it exactly transport to the next? I don't know. But let me say, something happened. There is something spiritual which takes place when we pray for people. I don't understand the mechanics. 
there is something spiritual which takes place when somebody lays hands on you and prays for you. I don't understand the mechanics. I understand the outcome, that it is good. It is one of the reasons why here at the vineyard, after I finish preaching, we always have a time, or nearly always, have a time where you have the option, if you so will, to respond to what I'm saying and have somebody pray for you. Invariably, that's going to take the form of somebody asking if they may lay their hands on you, either put their hand on your shoulder or because there's this spiritual impartation, which quite honestly is a mystery. But just because it's a mystery doesn't mean it's not a reality. So uh, Paul is saying, uh, Timothy, you don't have to work hard to receive the gift. Uh, You received it because God gave it to you when I prayed for you and when I laid hands on you. But what you do need to work hard on is fanning into flames that which God has already given you. Now, anybody that's accomplished anything, uh, like a musician, uh, most great musicians have worked hard at their musical skills. I mean, it takes a lot of work to be a drummer or a guitarist or a vocalist or a whatever. I mean, it takes a lot of work to do that. Uh, or if you, you know, into sport, it just takes a lot of work to do it. Now, it is a joy as you're doing it. So, yes, it's an effort, but it's an enjoyable effort. But it does take intentionality. That's the point I'm trying to get at. It's hard work. It takes intentionality. And it also applies to spiritual growth and spiritual truth. And if you want to grow at being a pastor, if you want to grow at being a Bible teacher, if you want to grow at being prophetic, if you want to grow at being a great prayer person, it takes intentionality and it takes work. Now, it is fun work, but it still takes uh, a lot of work to do that. And so uh, in 2 Timothy, seems as though we're in the book of 2 Timothy 2.15, it says this, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Notice you're working hard to please God. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Uh, You know, Paul is wanting Timothy to preach. And he's saying, okay, Timothy, to do this, you have to really work hard at learning how to preach and learning the word of God and understanding how this works and and do that. Uh, If we move forward into 2 Timothy, the first two verses, we have a wonderful... um, I won't say a formula, but a mythology here, which is really helpful for uh, learning and passing it on. And what does it mean? And what does that look like in a church setting? It actually works perfectly in a business setting. Uh, This is what uh, most doctors go through in very intentional way uh, in learning their skill. And it's something that uh, I want to just tease out here a little bit. Look at at, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Verse 1 and 2. Paul's uh, saying, Timothy, my dear son, and again, look at the tone. It's one that's loving. My dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. And then he says this. You have, you have heard me teach things that have been uh, confirmed by many reliable witnesses. 
So Paul is saying, you've heard me. You've heard me and you know that my teaching is true because it's been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. And then he says, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will then be able to pass them on to others. Uh, let me break it down this way. The first part of being mentored or teaching somebody should be that uh, you talk and they listen and observe. Uh, so here we have uh, a kind of nice little drawing here that uh, Tracy put together. Uh, and you listen. You just listen and you're observing and you're just saying, oh, I, I, I like what this person does. And this could apply to somebody that's, you know, enjoying your drumming or enjoying your sport and trying to learn how to do that or enjoying your preaching. Uh, so the first task here is you listen and you say, I like that. And uh, as the, the person that you're trying to, you know, teach or mentor, there comes a point where the person says, I want to know that or I want to be able to do that. And uh, that's what's taking place as you listen. The next step, which is not in this verse, but I uh, am putting it in there, is where you then start asking questions. So Timothy would then ask, Paul, Paul, I've seen you preach like this, but how exactly did you do that? And, and how weren't you terrified when people are like arguing with you? And, and so you have this back and forward discussion, and a part of it, uh, you're learning, like, okay, I, I can see how this is done because I'm asking questions. And then uh, the big moment comes. You try it. Okay, you've heard it being done. You've dialogued about it. Now you try it. Okay, now that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. You've heard me do it. Now you do it. Okay, but uh, this is best done with the mentor being present. So you give it a whirl. You try it out. And then the mentor is saying, okay, you, you did really great. But, you know, you missed this and you missed that. And think about this. And if you do this a little bit better, uh, it'll help you and it'll develop you. Now, that doesn't matter if it's music or sport or preaching or whatever it is, but there's a point where you learn best when you try it and the person is coaching you and saying, okay, you know, this is what you need to add to what you've already done. And then the last point is this. No, well, first, after you've tried that, you get this feedback and uh, you correct what you've missed and you improve on what you've missed. And then the last point is uh, you teach others to do the same thing which is where Paul is, is going with this with Timothy. You know, the outcome is, okay, I'm teaching you, Timothy, but the long-term view is you're going to teach others so that they can do what I'm doing. And so it perpetuates. And that's a healthy way uh, of doing anything. I mean, if you want to learn how to play a guitar and you've got limited ability, you hang out with somebody that's a good guitar player, you ask a bunch of questions, you try it, they give you feedback, they give you lots of practice, you try that, Eventually, you get good at it, and you try and teach somebody else. And then you really start learning, right, when you're starting to teach someone else. And then hopefully that person can get it and ask you questions, and then they teach someone else. That's, that's the cycle. And uh, that's part of this whole mentoring or succession planning. It's trying to find who's the right person and uh, how you're going to, to pass it on. Now, when it comes to imparting what's most important to us, I believe uh, imparting faith to our kids 
is really important. Now, we face a number of challenges as parents. Uh, each one of you in this room has come to this situation of being here today from a different place. Some of you, like Timothy, uh, your mom was a believer and your gran was a believer and you've had the luxury of growing up in a loving Christian home. Uh, some of you are here today and you're not even a believer yourself. You're just trying to figure it out. Some of you, like me, became a believer late in life and so you didn't have the luxury of being raised in the church. And now when I to try and teach my kids, I'm teaching them something I've never experienced. I, I, I'm trying to encourage my kids to come to children's ministry and to be part of youth group when I never was. Uh, so here you run a, a huge problem. And uh, you might have come to faith uh, at this stage of your life where your kids are already teenagers. Yeah, you have a greatly uh, increased difficult role of trying to encourage them to be part of our youth group. Uh, but let me suggest this. Uh, when I was uh, raising my kids, my son particularly loved sport. And uh, when he was still very young, uh, we tried out for ice hockey. And uh, indeed, he, he managed to make the travel team. Well, I, I didn't grow up in uh, New England, as you can gather. And so I didn't know a whole lot about ice hockey. And uh, I didn't realize that this is uh, like a really expensive sport. And so my interest for the sports went, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, that's not a good dad. You, you, know, you can't just make a determination on the cost of the thing. But uh, where it was terminal for me was I realized the whole schedule was Sunday morning. And so, you know, I broke the good news to my son. I said, Nate, you really didn't make that team. I have to confess, that's not the right way to do it, right? Nate, you... So, oh, Dad, okay, well, what do we do? Well, let me teach you a different sport, tennis or something else, you know. <laughs> but uh, here was what was going on in my head. I'm thinking, faith is more important to me than, than, than hockey. And, and these two things are, in this particular case, mutually exclusive. And I'm thinking, man, I really want to pass on the faith. Uh, it's not to say you couldn't have played hockey. I, just in my world, that would have been a, a no-go. But here's the challenge many of you parents face, right? Your kids are like real excited about sport. And here's the mistake we make. We make the mistake thinking, well, church has always been around and church is always going to be around. So, you know, sport is only now. They're 11 years old and now's the time for them to get good. So let's, you know, invest in, hey, it's football season at this stage. So it's just for the fall and we'll push heavy into football. And I know they're going to miss a bunch of games on Sunday and we're going to travel. But, you know, just for a short season. Well, uh, I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just saying, think about the cost. Uh, if, you, if, if passing on the faith is a big deal to your kids, then you need to think this through. So in, in my case, with my kid, uh, he picked up tennis and uh, he started playing a lot of tournaments. And indeed, some of them would fall on weekends. So, you know, I said, Nate, look, uh, I don't mind if we miss church occasionally for a tournament. But we're not going to make this as a regular lifestyle. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Uh, so that's part of the deal. Are you good with this? And, and that's indeed he was. And so that's how we did it. But we made church a priority. Now, uh, if you can sort of, if you have the privilege of raising young kids, what I'm saying, I mean, all our kids are young when you start off. But if you're a believer when your kids are young, 
raising them from, in the church, I should say, from a young age, <laughs> that you can influence them to come to children's ministry. And it becomes natural for them to then find friends, find faith, enjoy Christ, enjoy the, the fellowship of what takes place. It's much more difficult if you're trying to introduce your teenager to church. And uh, I, I just encourage you, as parents, if you're going to be serious about passing on the faith to your children, is you really need to be intentional about regularly, consistently showing up at church. Now, uh, kids have a wonderful ability to sniff out hypocrisy. If you say to your kids, look, church is really important. I'm going to drop you off at church, and I'm going to go and play golf. That just, like, doesn't go down too well. You know it, and I know it, right? It's really important for you to just, like, you know, get confirmed. You're going to stick to church until you're 13. Then you can make a decision. But I'm not going. I'm going to go. No, the kids pick that up. Here's another challenge. Uh, if uh, you didn't uh, live in the faith growing up, and uh, like I did, you know, you find the Lord when I was in my late uh, 20s, uh, and, you know, you're trying to impart what you believe are good Christian values to your, your kids, uh, and your kids are saying, but I know your lifestyle didn't always match what you're trying to teach me to do. Uh, or let me say it differently. Uh, you, your kids know your lifestyle. They know it pretty well. So if you're battling with something which is not biblical, I guarantee you, your kids know all about it. Uh, there's a great solution to this problem. It's called confession. <laughs> yes, it's called confession. This is the way it works. Uh, firstly, you talk to God. You say, God, I am sorry for the things that I have done that are not godly. Help me to change me from within. But more importantly, or no, not more importantly, as important is you then confess to your kids and you say something like this. I know that I used to do this. This is not godly. I am not pleased with it. I am not proud about this way of life or this lifestyle or whatever it is that you were doing. Hopefully not still doing, but maybe you are still struggling with it. But you have a dialogue with your kids and you say, I don't want this for you. I mean, every teenager is talking a whole lot about sexuality. Uh, you know, I don't know too many parents, I don't know any parents, that are saying to their kids, look, just have as much sex with as many different people as you like. I don't know too many parents that think that's a good idea. Now, you know, the biblical view is much harder for kids to, to, to grasp or to buy into. So as a parent, I think it's very helpful to say, hey, this is what I did right, or this is what I did wrong, and this is what I'm trying to prevent the heartache for you. Don't make the same mistakes. Don't go in, into this heartache. It is heartache. Uh, do what God wants, what's best for you, uh, what will be a blessing for you. Confession. You confess to your kids the mistakes you've made. They know it already. But if you really have this attitude like Paul does, where I love you, I'm trying to impart the faith to you. I want what's best for you. What God wants for you is what's best for you. God designed you. God's not trying to withhold the best for you. He's trying to give you the best possible life. That's exactly Jesus' words. In John 10.10. 10. So uh, that's very helpful. 
Let me uh, just finish quickly by going on one little bit of a tangent, perhaps. But in 2 Timothy is one of my uh, fam favorite verses, and that is 2 Timothy 3.16, which says this, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. Now, the Apostle Paul is trying to impart this to Timothy, and he's reminding Timothy all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, what's really interesting, in context, what Paul, the Apostle, is saying is the Old Testament, the Torah, is inspired by God completely and in total. Because remember, the New Testament hadn't yet been finalized. Paul is still <laughs> talking about it. He's still developing it. Not that he even knows that he is. You know, that's the other mystery. Part of it, Paul does know that he's speaking God's very words. And part of it, Paul doesn't know that he's speaking God's very words. But when he says all scripture is inspired, he's talking about the Old Testament. Now, uh, later on, the New Testament is recognized which books are inspired. But when we stop and we pause and we look at the way Jesus uh, was scrutinized and the way he viewed the Torah, the Old Testament, Jesus viewed it as being totally inspired by God, all of it. And uh, what's really intriguing is that some aspects of the Old Testament, uh, Jesus is relaxing some of the laws. Like, he's either relaxing them or he's fulfilled them. Like the temple, like Sabbath, like uh, food laws. Uh, those laws, Jesus either fulfills or he relaxes. But there are other laws in the Old Testament which Jesus intensifies and uh, he actually raises, like forgive your neighbor, love your neighbor, forgive people. Uh, uh, he intensifies uh, things like sexuality. He gets much more intentional about uh, marriage. And he uses the Old Testament to point all the way back to Adam and Eve and says, this is God's perfect plan. One man, one woman, together for life. And so he's saying, I fully agree with the Old Testament, but here's the perfect plan. Let's go back to that, or let's hold that as being true. So Jesus doesn't you know, ignore the Old Testament. No, right through it, he goes right back to it. So uh, we would do well if we would listen to uh, Paul's encouragement to Timothy and understand that all Scripture is inspired by God and to uh, use it as such. So let me just uh, finish by saying this. How might you apply this message in your life? Well, I would hope that there's certain people in your life which are really important to you and there are people that you would really like to uh, pass on your faith to. Uh, and my question, uh, and this is not, you know, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but my question is, how are you doing with that? Or let me say differently, uh, do you have an intentional plan of passing on your faith or your love for, you know, might be business succession planning or your love for music or whatever that, that's all good. I'm most interested in how you pass on your faith. Do you have a specific plan? How are you going about it? 
let me suggest that the mistake we all make is that we'll do it later. And uh, let me suggest that in the Bible, God always seems to think everything's urgent, like today's the day. And so I'm asking you, today's the day. How are you going about uh, passing on the things you're passionate about to your kids or to your grandkids or to some close associate? And uh, let me maybe suggest that one way of doing that is you start by just praying. Uh, firstly, deciding who the person is, asking the Lord to really give you a clear picture for your succession plan for your business or for passing on the faith. Who is the person that you have in mind? Or to have God put that person in mind, in your mind. And then to pray and ask God to give you an opportunity to talk about it, to talk about your faith, the right timing and the right place. But uh, your challenge is first to ask God, to pray this to God, but then to have the wherewithal to seize the moment, the opportunity, and say, okay, I think this is the time. This is the, the opportunity. Now is my opportunity, and you've already got the words to say, and you prepared, as Paul says, in season and out of season. You're ready when the moment of, of opportunity presents itself to share the word. On the other hand, uh, today you might be here where you're just trying to figure out faith yourself. Leave it alone, pass it on. You know, you're like, oh, I'm just trying to figure this out. Well, good, you're here, you're listening, you're hearing what I'm saying. If, if what I'm saying is appealing to you, good. I mean, you're in the right place. And uh, I encourage you to do this very simple thing. Just ask God into your heart and ask him to reveal himself to you more fully. And have the humility to say that you aren't perfect and that God uh, will forgive you because you're not perfect. But indeed, he's expecting you to be perfect. And you have a problem because you know you'll never be perfect. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. Because he is perfect. And he's given us that promise that if we receive him, he sees us as being perfect if we confess our imperfectness, our sin, to him. I mean, that's the mystery of of faith. And if that's you today, I encourage you to do it just in the place where you're seated. Uh, let me close with this verse, 2 Timothy 2.22. I'm going to read it back to front, actually. Uh, the end of that verse says this, Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure heart. Uh, the first part of that verse, it says, Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. One of the easiest ways of doing that is finding a life group to get to be in, be part of. You enjoy the company. You learn what uh, they're trying to impart to you. You join a youth group. You have your kids in children's ministry. It happens kind of organically. It's a good way of doing it. Why don't we have the uh, worship team uh, come on up and close us out in a song, and then indeed we will have an opportunity for you to come forward for prayer and uh, for God to speak to you. Why don't you stand and uh, we'll do a, a closing song and give you guys enough time to get, get up here. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, that we can praise you and we can have your song on our heart as we go out from this place.
Uh, Lord, we just desire your truth to be burned within us. And we thank you, Lord, that you do that from the inside, from your Holy Spirit moving, changing us, transforming us from the inside as we yield uh, to your truth and to your ways. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love each one of us, that you've made us, you understand us intimately, and you love us. We thank you for that. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I want uh, Kevin to come share some words, and uh, if you want to respond with prayer, I just encourage you to uh, come on up uh, as we finish out our service. But um, Kevin, why don't you share what you might have? Okay. Uh, I got three things I want to share. Uh, the first was this uh, word shalom, a uh, sense of having peace and that uh, God's wholeness, that, that the Lord says, I am who I am, I am everything that you need. Um, so I, I feel like he wants to give that out this morning. Uh, is there anyone this morning who maybe feels like you're anxious or empty, sort of without that peace? Mm. Your head's okay. nodding. All right. Amen. Secondly, um, the, the scripture, uh, Luke 19, 25, I'll try to paraphrase it for you. Jesus comes into the temple, and uh, he's driving out the, the people selling animals. Um, I'm not sure if this is a passage where he's overturning tables, uh, but the Pharisees get angry. They're, he's interrupting their, their prophet. And uh, they, they couldn't touch Jesus because there were so many people who are hanging on every word. Um, so I feel like um, the, the Lord wants to uh, mess up some tables. He, wa he wants to push some things out. And uh, maybe some of you are, are angry at God. You, you don't want him messing with your life. Um, I, I believe he wants you to be like one of those who hangs on every word. Um, anybody feel like uh, that might be you, that... that uh, you know the Lord wants to mess with some things in your life, and, and it, it's made you angry. Mm. Okay. Mm. Well, I, I, I just want to encourage you to respond to the Lord. Um, that's you. And then lastly, I just want to share uh, personally. Um, when, when I first uh, was following the Lord for the first 20 years or something, from, say, age 5 to my mid-20s, I believed in the Lord. I knew he was real. I, I could feel his presence at times, but I didn't know his voice. And then something changed. Something changed. The, the Lord began to speak to me uh, prophetically, like through other people, and then for myself personally. And I never get tired of hearing him affirm his love for me, give me specific guidance, and, and also speak to me on the behalf of others. And I just believe, uh, and, and this is for everyone, but, but especially for the youth. If there's anyone who, who you feel like that's you and you want to know what it is to hear God's voice, uh, I'd like to pray for you. And, and um, I just want to say, it, it's not always cool to follow the Lord. In, in fact, sometimes it's, he, he puts that burning passion in your heart, and, and it, it's not cool. He, 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 he puts that fire in there and makes you, like, passionate for him. Uh, so anyway, 
I, I just want to encourage you to respond to him. If you'd like prayer for anything else, we'd, we'd be happy to pray with you. So our service is over, uh, unless you want prayer, which uh, I encourage you to come forward for prayer. But if you've uh, got kids, go pick up your kids. If you want to have a conversation, take it into the lobby. But uh, on the other hand, you might just want to observe what happens when somebody gets prayed for. You want to say, well, how does this, what does this look like? You're welcome. Just stay in your chair and just look and observe. If you want prayer for anything that Kevin's mentioned uh, or anything else that's on your heart, uh, come forward. We would love God to impart spiritual gifts to you, to comfort you, to speak to you where you're at. Bless you guys. Go in peace.